Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. It's Sport Check. Welcome to episode 210 of the Sports Yak Podcast. You mean the Rico Petroselli episode? Third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. Played in the 1975 World Series, one of the most famous World Series ever played. Hit 40 homers in 1969. Rico Petroselli, the two-time All-Star third baseman for the Red Sox, hit 210 career home runs. Family Broadcasting Corporation, in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports, the other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! This episode's going to have a little bit of a football vibe to it. We will introduce you to the new, new Prairie head coach of football here in just a few minutes, but... There is some sports news to pass along. You were on a Zoom call with the athletic director at Notre Dame. I'd like to hear how that went. Jack Swarbrick uh, opened it up for questions yesterday for about a half hour, and most of them, of course, focused on the college football season. And will we have a college football season? What will it look like? I put out on Twitter two weeks ago that I expect Notre Dame to soon make an announcement in conjunction with Navy that this football game in Ireland will not be played in Ireland. And I still stand by that. Now, I thought the announcement would come sooner than what it has, but I still believe, especially with the NFL pulling its international games this year from London and Mexico City, Mm -hmm. I still believe that this game will not be played in Ireland. What about Ireland Road? That might be closer (laughs) to uh, where it's played. (laughs) It's Navy's home game. Um, Now, Navy has agreed to move this to Ireland and have it be in what's called week zero of the college football schedule. 
Um, and in week zero, they they would be the only game. So it's terrific exposure for Navy. And um, playing it in Ireland, while it doesn't do anything for Navy, it, it certainly adds to the luster of playing Notre Dame. And Navy will be quite frank with you. Their conference doesn't offer anything to them the likes of what playing Notre Dame or Army offers to them. Great rivalry, great exposure. So they want to keep this game with Notre Dame. Uh, There's also a possibility, should the season get postponed a little bit, should schools say, hey, we need a little bit more time before we can start the season. Navy has an open date December 5th, and Notre Dame typically would have its season done by December 5th. Uh, you could see Notre Dame and Navy play that game December 5th in a place like Baltimore or someplace like that. Nevertheless, uh, what Jack Swarbrick said in his call yesterday was they're continuing as though the plan is still to open on August 29th. Obviously, there have to be contingency plans made. The other thing that he noted was because a lot of colleges are basically at the mercy of the state that they're in, that you may see some teams not ready to go when the season starts. So maybe some teams will play more games than other teams this year. Or the possibility of delaying the season just a couple weeks into September. Well, now do you play a conference-only season? Well, that's not necessarily helpful to a program like Notre Dame, which is an independent. Who? How would they put together a schedule? Would you be kicking out the bye weeks? You probably would, Mm. yeah. Or you play a conference plus one schedule. Because a lot of these teams, for instance, let's take a team like Florida State. Well, one of their big rivalry games is playing Florida, who's not in their conference. They probably want to keep that game because of all the money that's tied up in that game. And let's face it, Notre Dame is a team that is going to bring fans wherever it goes. And it's going to bring some TV recognition wherever it goes. So a lot of teams might want to keep a team like Notre Dame as their conference plus one game. Now, there might be others that say, you know, my conference schedule is tough enough. I don't necessarily want to have Notre Dame as my plus one. All of these things. So many moving pieces. Have to be hashed out. Wow. And they have to be hashed out in a fairly quick fashion here. Swarbrick admitted that May 15th, and we're just nine days from that, a week from Friday, May 15th, is going to be a huge day for Notre Dame because they will decide whether there will be a second semester of summer school on campus or not. Now, that second semester of summer school is not on campus. That's not necessarily the death knell for football. They could say... We feel it's safe enough for the football team to come in and be lodged in a certain way accordingly and do their weight room things and things like that. But we don't feel it's it's healthy enough for the general population to be here. There's too many people in that regard. Um, there's all kinds of questions about that. He reiterated they do feel like a football team will need about eight weeks to prepare for a season four weeks of strength and conditioning, and three to four weeks of general practice. Typically, 
you would say, okay, if Governor Holcomb's plan goes through and the 4th of July, it's kind of full speed ahead with certain social distancing programs, then you can do that. That'll work. But there's other issues here, too. From, a, from an operation standpoint, your weight room. How many people can you have in that weight room and do social distancing? I mean, can you even have a spotter for a guy? You couldn't have a spotter for a guy and it be social distance. Do you have to wear a mask in the weight room? From a locker room standpoint, you got 95 scholarship players plus the walk-ons. You've got probably a 110 guys in this program. Can you have them all in one locker room? Do you need to use two locker rooms so that everybody has enough room to spread out and social distance? Or stagger uh, times. Right. This many at this time, this many at this time. But how do you practice that? Uh, All these things. I hate the new normal because this isn't normal. It's not a new normal. This is abnormal, but this is the situation that we're working in here in 2020. So, in essence, Jack Swarbrick didn't really provide any answers because he doesn't have any to provide. That's not his fault. What he tried to give the media yesterday was an idea of some of the scenarios that are being worked through. And then there's the trickle-down effect because... College budgets have already taken a hit. And if football is delayed, they take an even greater hit. Mm -hmm. And what does this mean to your other sports? Because whether you like it or not, folks, football is what feeds the beast of college athletics. Men's basketball makes some. At a school like Notre Dame, women's basketball is probably slightly on the plus side of of the profit line. All of your other sports are lost leaders funded by the football program. So if football takes a hit, now you really have to take a look at your other sports. What did they do in terms of travel? What did they do in terms of scheduling? And quite frankly, can you afford to continue the program? Wow. These are all things that will have to be worked out. And I, as an individual, hate hypotheticals, but this is the world that Jack Swarbrick has to live in right now, Mm -hmm. is a hypothetical world. Isn't it crazy how this could easily have been just some random lunch of you and I sitting somewhere a year ago and going, can you imagine if this happened? And even just trying to think about it through your little lunch to gathering. But this is probably his full day of, my gosh, if this doesn't happen, this happens. Like you were saying, ripple effect, trickle down, my goodness. Sorry, no more swimming. Right. Sorry, no more, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. That's amazing. So heartbreaking well, at the same time. Yeah, it is heartbreaking and it it has really changed things. Obviously, the hope of everybody is that we either develop a vaccine or this thing magically goes away or whatever the case and we can get back to having the lives that we once had and enjoying sports the way we once did, and teams being able to do things the way they have. He did point out that he thinks that this has been good for recruiting. Uh, from How a, so? From a standpoint of coaches don't have to travel as much 
It puts less stress on the coaches being away from their families and things like that. It allows them to be more of spouse and parent in their own families and not have to be on the road so much. Because if you're a school like Notre Dame and you recruit across the country, and literally across the country, they've brought in players from Hawaii. They've brought in, shoot, they've got a player from Germany coming in. So could this be, this point forward, if we do get past all this, like you were saying, could this be Notre Dame's opportunity to go, this is how we recruit now? Because there's a lot of pluses in what you just said. Do they say that now, like, hey, you're not traveling anymore. We're completely okay with online and back to the phone call, et cetera. You have, you have to balance it with, okay, what's everybody else doing? Does it put us at a competitive disadvantage to do it this way? Mm-hmm. Right now, everybody has to do it this way. So it doesn't put you at that competitive disadvantage. But if you decide, okay, well, this is the way we're doing it going forward, and everybody else says, no, we're going back to the old way, will you still be able to recruit as well? Hmm. And the questions become more validated by what happened on the recruiting front yesterday. Notre Dame went one and one in recruiting yesterday. And that sounds like, okay, well, you broke even. Well, you didn't really break even. Because you were looking to try to get a five-star running back by the name of Will Shipley out of the state of North Carolina. And instead, he went to Clemson. And... The problem is in trying to get Will Shipley, and, and this is a, something that Notre Dame has done a couple of times over the years, and it's always a little bit head-scratching to me. They didn't really give themselves any insurance policy for if they didn't get Will Shipley. So all of a sudden, when Will Shipley said no to Notre Dame yesterday. Oh, there's no plan B? Is that... Th- all of a sudden, you saw Notre Dame throwing out these offers to three-star running backs instead of five-star running backs. Wow. Because rather than entertain other running backs and say, yeah, we're interested in you. And, and I realize some of this is an ego thing with kids. Kids don't want to think, well, I'm – kids want to think, oh, I'm as good as Will Shipley. Well, no, you're not. No, you're not. And so, you know, we've got kind of a pecking order here that we want to go through. Well, kids don't want to hear that. They want to be recruited as though they're the number one guy. Well, now the Shipley's off the board. They are recruiting guys who are the number one guy, but so many have gone through the turnstiles while we waited for the Shipley decision that now Notre Dame's in a situation where they have to recruit perhaps a lesser player to fill a running back slot in this recruiting class. They did get an okay yesterday from a guy by the name of Philip Riley, who is a four-star cornerback out of Valrico, Florida, and he did take the Irish over Clemson and Florida State and Miami and USC, and you talk to people who, who scout these things out, and they're very impressed with Philip Riley. They think he'll be a terrific cornerback, and it's a nice pickup for Mike Mickens, who is the new cornerback's coach at Notre Dame, kind of shows that he can go out and beat the bushes and recruit. And the impressive thing about recruiting Philip Riley is Philip Riley has never been to Notre Dame. All they never of his, got him up here. All of his recruiting was done virtually hmm. because all of the recruiting on Philip Riley happened after the pandemic began. So it shows it can be done, but you also learn that yesterday 
And and one of the criticisms that I have heard of Notre Dame's recruiting effort on Will Shipley is they didn't get Brian Kelly involved early enough with Shipley. They had position coaches recruiting him, but Brian Kelly didn't get in front of Shipley early enough. And they didn't engage the parents enough. Now, all of this is hearsay. I don't know if, if it's true or not, but these are all things that go into the recruiting picture of a Division One athlete and things made all the more difficult by the pandemic and the way you have to go about recruiting right now. Wow. I hope someone's writing all this down and documenting. It sounds like a great book about 10 years from now. Well, I, I think 2020 will be somewhat seen as a pivotal year on the college athletics landscape. We lost March Madness. We lost the NCAA tournament. The changes that have had to come forth in college football recruiting and how will this all shake out once it goes through the, the filters here. Hmm. Okay. Meanwhile... On the high school recruiting front, well, it's not recruiting front, unless you're talking about recruiting coaches, and that's what New Prairie has been trying to do for a while. And Corey and I have had the opportunity to talk with, well, the guy that they landed as the new Cougars head football coach. We are pleased to be joined on this edition of The Yak by Casey McKim, not even 24 hours old as the head football coach of the New Prairie Cougars and Casey, congratulations on your first head coaching job. This has got to be thrilling for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a very uh, very crazy ride. It, uh, it's all happened in less than two weeks. Well, I wanted to ask you about the process here because this New Prairie job has been posted, reposted. It, it's been a long time coming for the Cougars to get the coach. When did you first get involved in this? Um, I originally applied at the beginning, um, but obviously, you know, there, you know, we're living in unprecedented times. The world has, you know, changed quite a bit since that process started. So, you know, it's not really surprising that uh, you take your time and get it done right because of all the crazy things happening in the world these days. What appealed to you most about this job? Um, the thing that appealed to me the most um, was just the reputation of of hard work blue collar mentality that this community has and and that they're football crazy and football hungry well that has also been installed by a couple of coaches bart curtis to begin with and then most recently russ radke there is an expression that you never want to be the guy that follows the legend and certainly russ radke has been a legend in, in a number of places absolutely uh how comfortable are you with having to come into New Prairie under these circumstances? Well, you know, the big thing is, is you never know when you're going to get your opportunity. So you always have to be ready for it. And, you know, the one thing that I, I was talking to someone else is, you know, there are two things that I think every great coach has, and everyone does a little bit differently. But number one is be yourself and, um, because the kids recognize that. And then the other thing is have high, high levels of accountability um, to, you know, actually do what you say and, you know, really mean it 
and follow through with it. And so I think if you do those two things, you're going to be successful. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what's been here before. So I hope to do it my way. Coach, you've been uh, voted most influential teacher three times at Valpo uh, Teacher Appreciation Week. So I say congratulations to you. And uh, do you get to teach again at New Prairie? What, uh, what will you be offering as a class? Are you excited about that as well? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be teaching social studies. Uh, still got to get uh, figured out exactly what it is I'm going to be teaching, but I teach social studies, and I really enjoy that uh, that topic. Casey, you've got to come in, and every coach wants to establish a culture. and That seems to be one of the buzzwords these days. You have to do it, and you can't do it face-to-face with your kids. You're going to have to do it through Zoom meetings or telephone calls or however you do it. But what is the culture that you want to create at New Prairie for your program? Well, first of all, I think uh, one big part of that is is that everyone is a part of creating that culture. Obviously, I have some certain things that, that I'm going to want to bring, and, and I'll bring those up. But when it comes right down to it, people need to have a stake in the program. They have to feel that they are a part of it in, in every way possible. And so... Um, that unity, that feeling of family is by far the very first thing. Uh, the next thing is what it really comes down to, and I said it in the opening remarks, was getting better every day. And uh, the way you do that is you have great attitude and great effort. And if you do that, you're going to get better every single day. Coach, a two-part question. Uh, I'm always just fascinated with the dynamic of taking a new job, uh, leaving the past, and moving forward. So two-parter. Was it hard to tell Valparaiso it was time for you to move on? And what are you going to miss most about uh, your time at Valparaiso? Uh, it was absolutely very difficult uh, to to uh, leave Valparaiso. Obviously, I'm from Valpo. Um, I spent quite a bit of time here. Um, you know, I've been able to move up and call the offense, and so it was it was extremely difficult because the thing that I'm going to miss uh, the most the relationships that I've had there with the kids, uh, the coaches. Uh, one of the things that uh, made me feel quite good is the number of former players and players who reached out to me after this whole process. And, um, and that's what coaching is really all about is those relationships that you build. You were with Coach Marshall for quite some time. Has he been one of the greatest influences? Or perhaps a better way to ask this question is, who have been the top coaching influences on your style? Absolutely. Um, coach Marshall, absolutely. He, um, he has been a huge influence on me. He doesn't, uh, you know, coaching, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is not just the axes and O's and the technique, which it is, but it's those relationships that you build. And he is a, uh, a leader, not only of a football team, but a leader of young men. And that is something that has influenced me greatly. Uh, another person who influenced me very, uh, very early on in my career, I, I coached at Blackford, which was more of a little bit of a rural school, 20 miles north of Muncie, Indiana. Uh, that was my first high school coaching job. And uh, Steve Rinker uh, was a person who had a big influence on me. And uh, the, once again, the character that he brought to the job, um, you know, kids recognize you know 
high character people who really care about them. And so those two people have definitely had the most influence on me in those areas. Let me ask you the question that I'm sure as you talk to the people in the New Prairie community, this was probably question number one on their list. You still going to run the option? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You know, here, well, here's the thing, you know, I kept getting asked this question, you know, what's the offense going to look like? And, and things like this, no doubt. You know, um, even though that we were in some spread before, well, the first of all, it comes down to what is going to help your kids be successful the most. Um, and so you're always trying to fit what works with the kids that you have. That is the first and foremost priority. Um, but in the end, even what we did at Valquil, um, we were a physical team that was running the ball, you know, so a lot of the stuff that they did, uh, New Prairie did this last year, was a lot from shotgun. Um, they were just running a lot of counteraction with the quarterback and the running back. So, you know, I don't see any major differences. Maybe, you know, some slight changes in formation and, and uh, some, you know, just little blocking schemes. But the mentality of being physical and hard-nosed and wanting to uh, establish the run is definitely no different. Well, you've got the opportunity to certainly do that with this new team. As as I take a look at your team from the outside, obviously you're going to miss a veteran quarterback presence in Chase Ketterer. But, man, I look at your offensive line, and those two tackles are pretty salty at New Prairie, especially Hunter Whitenack, a young man that's getting D1 looks. How do you see the talent that you're inheriting with the Cougars? Absolutely. I think that uh, just looking at it, you know, obviously I have to get to know the kids and the roster uh, more, but uh, looking at it from the outside, no doubt that it is the uh, front line that is both on the defensive and offensive line are extremely impressive. You know, I'm, I'm leaving Valpo where we, we had quite a large offensive line last year, and uh, I'm pretty sure that the offensive tackle here at New Prairie could give at least from a measurable standpoint, a run for the money uh, against anything that we had help over the past couple of years. So uh, it's extremely impressive. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think the offensive line and the defensive line set the tone for a team because that is the most physical um, area on the field at any given time. So they set the tone for the entire team. Coach, in the interview process, I'm sure it's a back and forth. They ask you, like, what you're going to bring to the coach, coaching position. What was the selling point for you on New Prairie? What did they say to you that made you go, yeah, I'm in? Um, You know, I kind of brought it up before, but the biggest one is definitely that sense of family. Uh, They kept talking about, um, and and from multiple people, it didn't matter who it was in the process or any person that I talked to when evaluating um, the program and the community, I kept hearing the same things. People are straightforward and honest with you. People really care about the kids and the program. They're willing to do whatever they can to help. Um, you know, these are, you know, this community is a, is a true family feel, and uh, that sense of community is extremely strong. So, you know, that, I, I don't know a person who not only would want to, you know, everybody would want to coach in that setting, but you'd also want to uh, to uh, live and uh, have a family in that setting. How do you go about putting together a staff? 
Uh, the big thing right now is we have some people who were already on staff before. Uh, I'm going to meet with some. Uh, I'm going to meet with them as well. There are some people that you know. Uh, it's amazing how you know when there's changes, people are you know, uh, you know excited, and some people want to coach and things like that. So I'm going to talk to the guys that have been here for a while and have the experience and and know the landscape and uh, try to use their expertise to help. Uh, put together a staff, and there's people who are interested, and and of course there's people that I know. But you know, this is a really difficult time, especially for families, um, the uncertainty to be able to move and things like that. So I definitely think um, their knowledge about the people in the area and the people who are interested would be invaluable. What what's the biggest challenge for you between here on May sixth and should the season start on time, August twenty first? Well, I think you hit on it earlier. I think the biggest issue is trying to, um, you know, communicate in a really effective level. Um, you know, through Zoom meetings, you can only do so much. Um, but trying to build those relationships early, and then of course it's going to be, uh, commu- you know, just getting all the things done that need to get done when things change. You know, um, getting everything organized, getting everything set so that you can start to prepare the players in the correct way um but the relationships is the big one you know <laughs> it wouldn't be very fun if you show up august one and go who's this person so um it's really important to establish and get to know the players and and the personnel and and start to prepare so you can have the best season possible you've coached in the duneland for the last eight years very competitive football conference now you come over and new prairie is part of the nic north which, of course, is very competitive as well. When you take a look at the schedule card for New Prairie this year, what stands out to you? Um, Wow, yeah. Looking at the schedule, uh, one of the things that pops out to me, at least for this year, and I know it cycles through, uh, is the first four games uh, are against some extremely quality teams, and three of them are on the road. (laughs) In a row, in fact. I thought that was... That was interesting to look at. And then the last two games of the year are against uh, two 6A schools that are, uh, you know, over 3,000 students in enrollment. Uh, so, you know, those two, those are really kind of the two things that stuck out my mind just glancing over it. Um, there's no doubt the quality of teams and the quality of schedule is extremely impressive. You say You said earlier one of the goals that you have is to get better every day. Is that your major measure of success? I, I realize for any coach, a scoreboard is a measure of success as well, but you mentioned going up against 6A programs with a 4A school. So how do you sit down after a season is done and say, yes, that was a successful season, or no, we should have been better? You know, that, that's a really good question because you're, you're right. The scoreboard does matter, you know, it, but – how do you affect the scoreboard? That That is the biggest thing. So in my mind, if you're doing the things that you should do from a technical standpoint and an effort standpoint, and you are, um, you know, playing at a really high level, those are the things that matter the most. Not making mistakes, um, taking advantages of other teams' mistakes. Those kinds of things are extremely important. And those are things that, you know, every coaching staff measures, you know, assignment, alignment, all these different things, effort. You know, if you have those things, the scoreboard's going to take care of itself. 
Uh, Nick Saban calls it the process. Tons of other coaches call it different things. But in the end, you've got to focus on the things that, that affect the scoreboard. And uh, if you focus on those, the scoreboard, you know, hopefully will end up in the right category by the end of the game. But you can't just think about, you know, the results. You've got to think about what you're doing every single play to make it happen. In high school, you played with the Shark, Jeff Samarja. What was that experience like? Um, it, was a, it was an amazing experience. Um, he was a tremendous athlete. Uh, I remember, you know, playing with uh, in high school and and um, and then getting to see him at college. I was a manager at Purdue at the same time, and and that wasn't particularly fun to be on the opposite end of it <laughs> after all those years of being on the same team. So, um, no, it's pretty tremendous uh, to see you know a, a Division One athlete. You know, you think you have an idea of how good. Uh, an athlete is until you see one that really stands out and uh, there's no doubt from very early on that that he did well you you had the opportunity and granted he was more of a defensive player than an offensive player but on the other side of the ball at Valparaiso last year Cooper Jones uh, there's a young man that lines up looking like he could be a major division one athlete and has committed to Indiana Uh, what can Hoosier fans expect to see from him um, the you know one of the biggest things about Cooper, uh, absolutely tremendous, is his motor. I mean, he he has an edge to him. He will keep coming every single play. You know, everybody's watching the Jordan documentary, um, and you know he has a little bit of that mentality. He takes it personally every play, and uh, that's the thing that really separates him is his uh, ability to work and his ability to. Um, just really compete every single play. And he has, you know, a very, very sharp edge to him. And I, I want to touch on this student manager experience that you had at Purdue as well. Um, from from that, and I noticed in the biography it talked about evaluating recruiting film and things like that. Was coaching something that you knew when you went to Purdue, even as a manager, was coaching something that you knew you wanted to do then? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I knew when I was in high school uh, that I wanted to coach. I already knew that that was going to be kind of uh, my um, my tra- uh, you know trajectory. I was you know I was not the best athlete in the world. I always had to find a way, a little edge or something, a technique or something to give me a better edge and an opportunity to succeed. But yeah, going to Purdue. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, you know I wanted to be a manager is I had some other opportunities to just do some, you know, um, some you know they call it gopher work, you know, just doing the little odd end jobs at times, and uh, just being around that uh, process was absolutely tremendous. I learned a ton, and um, and uh, yeah, uh, and it really did help me. One of the best things that it helped me uh, was understand what, and I think I can use as a coach is you know, being able to help identify and understand what makes a Division One college football player, especially in the Power 5 area. There are certain things that no matter what their stats are, no matter you know what games they've won, there's a lot of things that go into whether or not you're a Power 5 Division One uh, scholarship kid. Was that the Tillery era that you were there? Yes. Okay. Yes, Coach Tillery was still there. And uh, do you steal anything from him, playbook-wise? <laughs> 
Um, playbook wise, um, they were you know they were spread uh, during that period of time. You know one you know it's funny you say that because philosophically one of the things um, that they did that I thought was quite interesting that you know we ended up doing a little bit of Valpo is is finding those really fast, quick slot guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys that no linebacker can really match up with in, you know, a five-yard square box, um, they could juke you right out of your pants. And um, so, you know, finding a way, I, I think from a philosophical standpoint is, you know, high school football and a lot of points and scoring is, you know, big plays, and that increases your chances of scoring a lot. So if you have a way to get speed on the field, you do it. It doesn't matter what its height is. As a wrap-up for you, if I'm a New Prairie football fan, what should I expect on Friday nights from my team? What you should expect as a New Prairie football fan on Friday nights is a team that is well-prepared, a team that is going to play hard at all times, a team that's going to be technically sound, that's going to know their job and try to, and try to do it at a high level and do it the right way. Um, and you know, and um, carry themselves the right way throughout the entire game. That's Casey McKim, the new Prairie football coach, recently hired just 24 hours ago, joining us here on Sports Yak. Hey, Casey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Look forward to meeting you in person. I'm I'm putting together a rough draft of our TV football schedule right now. I think uh, right now I've got the Cougars in week two down at Oliver Field uh, playing Culver Academy. Yeah, So sounds good. That, that should be a good ball game, and look forward to, to meeting you in person soon. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, stay safe, stay healthy. Yes, same to you. What you get out of the conversation with Coach McKim? I, uh, I, intuition, there was part of me that wanted to just speak up, but of course I feel, uh, I got a little shy at the moment. You did get a little shy. I noticed that just sitting here watching you during the phone call. Yeah. I wanted to tell him, and I kind of had this moment with myself a few weeks ago. I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time. You as well. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you start doubting your skill and sometimes you're like, eh, am I supposed to be here? I wonder if I'm good enough to do this. Am I still good enough? You know, he's at that front end of new head football coach. You and I have been, you know, we're the old dogs. (laughs) So I had a moment of this, but then I was reminded of something somebody told me about a year ago. Everything that we have done has led to this moment. We are supposed to be where we are at right now. And there's a lot of positive in that. And I felt like, should I say this to this guy? Because, I don't know, there was just a couple of things he said that kind of gave me a little kid in the window during Christmas time at the department store. Oh my gosh, look what's in there. And I don't know if I'm, you know, there was a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to go, Hey dude, everything that you've done leads to this moment. You're supposed to be in new Prairie, no matter what anybody says. I am sure with it being his first head coaching job, there is, it would only be natural to be a little bit nervous. Yeah. Which is, I think, a good thing because you're only nervous about taking a job like that when you're pushing yourself to, can I be as successful as I hope that I can be? Mm -hmm. Can I do for these kids what I hope that I can do for them, et cetera? It's a good nervousness. It's a nervousness of excitement and wanting to do it. Obviously, uh, just as we talked about with the Notre Dame situation, it has to be exacerbated right now by 
how do I make relationships with players through Zoom? Yeah. Through texts, through telephone calls. How do I build a staff? As he said, you know, a lot of people don't want to move right now. Right. Can't move right now. And how do you put together your coaching staff? So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get him on the phone and have him on our show was to kind of dive into some things that, you know, once the season starts, these are things that we don't have a chance to talk about or unveil for people. But kind of, I hate to use your phrase, pull back the curtain too much today. But really, that's what we were trying to do with that interview was let you know, okay, what are the thoughts of a 30-something guy getting his first head coaching job under these circumstances. Yeah. And hopefully if there is a new Prairie fan that's listening right now, the resume reads three-time most influential teacher in that high school. That means those kids look at that guy as something special. Right. And hopefully that rubs off on the student athlete at New Prairie. I find that very impressive. How long at Valpo? Eight years? Yes. Three of those years... This is the this is the teacher that we look at for fill in the blank. Right. That's pretty exciting. So, should be fun. The Northern Indiana Conference North Division to me is always fun to cover and look forward to having the Cougars on 46 at some point during this season. Do you think we'll get an exclusive on the football schedule from TV 46 Sports? I've got it in kind of a rough draft form. I need to talk to some people internally here. There yeah. will be a time that we reveal it, but that's probably not until June. Okay. We're still 107 days away from opening day, but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. How did you know that math so quick, one wonders? All right, you feel good? Anything left? Uh... I think we've done what we can do with this show. You've I'm not going to goat. give. I'm sorry, I'm not going to give. Korean baseball organization scores on the show. However, uh, Rosie Freebie, a huge fan of the Dinos in the KBO. I'll have to look at that online. Yes. Because I don't know what you're talking about. Korean baseball. Maybe it, Bad News Bears go to Japan as a refresher. No, they'd have to go to Seoul. Yeah, Seoul. <laughs> All right, sports fans. Thank you so much for listening to the Sports Yak. Download, hit the subscribe button so you never, ever ever miss an episode i don't know if you know this or not but i'm on twitter at 46 sports are you yes that was my next question you're on twitter i'm doing the tweets at my name is Corey and at sports yak with two k's i literally thought you were gonna go and happy birthday bob seeger i'm so glad thank you, didn't. you for bringing that up <laughs> happy birthday bob seeger gosh i didn't know it was on your mind so much uh, how old is bob today 70 something 75 buddy yeah and, oh, so many hits. Can we play some Bob Seeger to take us out? We've run out of time. What? We've run way out of Not time. Not on the Rico Petroselli episode. <laughs> yes, that was specifically. If we're out of time, that means I should be saying, Ooga Luga, Rico Petroselli. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. Sport Check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. You've been listening to Sports Yak with Chuck Freebie and Corey Mann as himself. Produced by Corey Mann. The Sports Yak theme song by Rhett Walker. Production elements and voiceovers by AudibleGenesis.com. Engineered by Phil Souza. Executive producer is Danae Hughes in partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Interested in your own podcast? 
Contact Danae at Danae at StudioDNA.media. Sports Yak Archives available on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.